He is jealous for me And loves like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me Oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us How he loves us You know, she really shouldn't be here. By being here, she is taking a big risk. Scorn, ridicule, insult, even further isolation. Maybe even worse. But for her, that doesn't matter now. She just doesn't care anymore. She's grown tired of her life, of going on with the way things have been. She's worn down and she's become numb by, by years of rejection, of, of disappointment, of just having to live in pain, of having insensitive people turn and walk the other way whenever they see her. Now, I'm sure that her life didn't begin this way. She was probably born into a very loving and, and caring family. She more than likely grew up with a lot of excitement and promise and, and anticipation that one day she would meet and marry the man of her dreams. She used to have a wonderful family. She probably had many friends during her childhood years. And my guess is that she was faithful to God in her life. But then something happened that changed all of that. Her life had, had taken a sudden turn. And that set her on an entirely different and unexpected path. You know, life has a tendency sometimes to do that, doesn't it? It has its own twists and turns that, that few of us can predict. Well, at some point during her early adult years, she began noticing that something wasn't quite right with her physically. And after a few months, she began to realize that, that something was seriously wrong. And she developed a chronic affliction that, that just stayed with her. It was an illness that would alter who she was and, and who others knew her to be. Where our lives intersect with hers in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And while the Bible chooses not to tell us her name, her story is important enough for us that the writers of Scripture had recorded it so that 2,000 years later we're still talking about her. And we are told in three of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that, that this woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. In fact, the Bible tells us that she had this condition for so long that she had exhausted her entire life savings on doctors just in the hope that they would be able to find a cure. But they didn't. She lost everything that she had. I mean, 12 years. Just think about how long that is. 
And that's an incredibly long time to live with an illness like this. And when you're suffering with an illness for that long, eventually you find yourself just dealing with it by yourself. Well, that's what happened to this woman anyway. Over the course of those long years, she, she just found herself having to cope with it on her own. No one could help her with it or, or take it from her. And any compassion and understanding that she may have received in the early days, well, that was just a distant memory now. But it was still even worse for her. Not only did she have to live with this illness for 12 years, but, but according to Jewish law, that this kind of illness made her ceremonially unclean. Now, it's important to understand that that being unclean was not a punishment from God. But it did mean that because God is so holy, that her state of uncleanness kept her from going into the temple courts to worship. It meant that she couldn't hear the songs of the Levitical choirs or to offer her praise at the altar. She was forbidden to share in the meal of the peace offerings or listening to the word of God as the scrolls were unfolded and, and read. Or even being welcomed in a, a wanted part of the community of the faithful. I mean, normally a person who was unclean could be restored in a, in a timely manner, but, but for her, this just wasn't the case. This particular illness just kept her in a perpetual state of uncleanness. And it meant, according to the law, that everywhere that she sat, everything that she touched became unclean. And because she was unclean, people just avoided her. I mean, even the ones that, that she needed the most. Family and friends, people in her village. No doubt some were more than a little nervous that even close proximity to her would, would make them become unclean as well. And she must have felt pretty worthless, even ashamed all over something that just wasn't her fault. My guess is, is that she never married. I'm sure she must have thought that she would have a hard time finding a man who would accept her with this kind of condition. And I imagine that she began thinking that even after all of these years, that even God had rejected her. More than likely, she overheard the harsh and the misguided teaching of the Pharisees that it said that, a, that an illness of this duration meant that she was cursed of God. She must have prayed for healing. And month after month, and, and his year after year went by, and just toiling with God and pleading with him, and with no apparent answers. I'm sure that her prayers became less frequent and less passionate. Probably silent altogether. So here we find her, the Bible says, out in the marketplace. And there was a huge crowd that day. Many people were passing by her, some trying to avoid her still, others paying no attention to her at all. But something unusual was going on in the crowd. And there was a lot of buzz and, and excitement. And she and no doubt countless others were drawn there because talk had spread about a certain rabbi a teacher who was performing miracles, I mean real miracles, just amazing things. 
And this miracle worker, well, he was out in the crowd and he was just trying to make his way through the mob of people. She had heard that this rabbi, that this teacher had, had healed a lame man and, and a leper not just too long ago. And she must have reasoned to herself that if this rabbi can do something amazing like that, then he must be some kind of a prophet. And maybe, just maybe he's the one that she'd been taught about from her early childhood years. Now, in the world of Jesus, there were two kinds of teachers. They were what the Bible calls teachers of the law, teachers of Torah. And we often think of Torah as strictly legal law, but but it was so much more than that. In reality, it provided God's direction. Those who were faithful to God in their lives actually embraced the law, not as a, a harsh measuring stick, but because they wanted God's protection and, and they wanted his provision. The law not only protected God's people from just absolutely ruining their lives, but it also provided for them with his heart and with his will and, and with his direction for their lives. It showed them how to live in obedience and and how to receive God's blessing. Well, in addition to teachers of the law, there were also rabbis. Now, the rabbis were far more advanced in their knowledge and in their teaching skills. In fact, they were, as the word is translated, they were the masters. They were masters of Tanakh, what we know in the church today as the Old Testament. The Tanakh was divided into three parts. There was Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. There was Nevi'im, the the history and the prophets. And then there was Ketuvim, the the writings or the poetic books such as Psalms and Proverbs. And rabbis, they knew the Tanakh from memory. By the age of 30, these men had memorized the entire Old Testament. If you gave them a phrase out of any passage, they could tell you what came before and, and what came after. They were also master teachers. They were just great storytellers. And they were not only able to teach in such a way that to help people learn by what they heard, but by what they could visualize as they saw the applications come to life. Now, there was rumor by some in the back alleyways that this particular rabbi, you know, the one in the crowd that day, this Jesus of Nazareth, well, some were saying that, that he might be the Messiah the anointed one from God. And one of the teachings of the day was is that when Messiah comes, the three divisions of Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, that they would all come together bearing and, and testifying a witness toward him. Well, no doubt news had spread about what had been overheard at his baptism. And at the baptism of Jesus and also at his, his transfiguration, God the Father testifies To this very fact. He said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, this is my son comes from Psalm 2. Ketuvim. Whom I love comes from Isaiah 42. Nevi'im. And listen to him comes from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Torah. You see, God the Father quotes his own book three times here, quoting once from Torah, once from Nevi'im, and once from Ketuvim. And in that one declaration, he breaks into the world of the New Testament for the first time, and he audibly speaks. And he makes it unmistakably clear who Jesus Christ is. 
That he is the embodiment of Tanakh. He is the embodiment of the Word of God. He is my anointed one, the Messiah. He is my Word made flesh. He is my Son who sits on the Davidic throne. He is my promised one. This one, this one going through the crowd that day is no ordinary rabbi. He's not like the other rabbis and the teachers of the law. This one speaks with power and with authority. This one speaks with great love and with great compassion. This one lives out his words with actions. It was Jesus who was in the crowd that day. And Mark tells us in chapter 5 of his gospel that a large crowd had followed Jesus and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Well, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, well, who touched my clothes? Well, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. We need to pause for a moment and, and take a look at the broader context of this passage. Actually, Jesus was on his way to the house of Jairus. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. And Jairus had asked him to come and to heal his, his only daughter. She was near death. And so the encounter that Jesus has with this woman, it's actually an interruption. In fact, it is a major interruption. Because as you fast forward through this text, you... You find that this delay has cost Jairus' daughter her life. And the stress and tension here must have been just tremendous. I mean, Jairus' must, heart must have just sank when, when he realized that this woman had touched Jesus. I mean, being a ruler of the synagogue, he knew the law better than most. And, and he knew that at the moment that she touched him, that Jesus would become unclean. Or so he thought. Once he heard her confession, Jairus knew that Jesus would not be able to go to his daughter, but he would have to go and wash himself and, and wash his clothes and wait until evening. By then it would be too late. So you can see why the disciples become just a little stressed out here in this passage. I mean, what do you mean who touched you? We don't have time for this. We don't have time to stop and, and to look for someone in this crowd. And this had to be an agonizing delay for Jairus. And just one more thing to add to this woman's resume. Now because of her, this young girl will lose her life. But here's the thing. God just loves interruptions. Especially when they're going to bring glory to his son. See, this woman had been cast aside and sentenced to a life of isolation for 12 years and counting. 
She was out in this crowd. It was a crowd the disciples described as just pressing against. The force of the word here tells us that, that people were just crushing against Jesus, just trying to get near him. And it's amazing for her to even think that she could even get near him, to get, even get close to him, to have any chance at all at even reaching him. And she must have been in a very weakened state by now, probably even near death herself. And my guess is that she might even be crawling at, at, at this point or, or maybe just trying to position herself to be in the pathway of Jesus as he came by. But in any case, she had one purpose in mind, to touch the fringe of his garment. Now we need to ask a question at this point. And where would she get the notion that touching his clothes would make any difference at all? I mean, this is her last chance. I mean, she's got one shot at this, and, and if, it's, if she's wrong, it's over for her. Her life is over. There are no more options. We're told in this passage that it was her only reason for being out there that day. In fact, the Greek grammar is very descriptive at this point. It just tells us that she was repeating over and over again, if, if I could just touch his clothes, if I could just touch his clothes, if I could just touch his clothes. You get this sense of, of urgency, of, of absolute desperation on her part. When she wasn't looking to engage Jesus in conversation, she didn't even want him to see her, let alone ask him to heal it. She'd already faced enough humiliation over the years. I mean, dealing with the whispers and the gossip about her, let alone explain to Jesus out in the midst of this crowd about her illness, where just everyone could hear that was embarrassing enough. And she just simply wanted to touch his garment from behind and then just slip away without being noticed. And you can see why she'd be pretty anxious about it. In fact, the text tells us that she was just trembling when, when Jesus eventually confronts her. Because she also knew that by touching him, even if it was just his clothes, it would make him unclean. She would be committing a major sin. But you know, when, when you reach a point in your life with, with this kind of desperation, and that risk just becomes inconsequential. So what was so vitally important about the clothes that Jesus was wearing? What was so special about them? Well, during the time of Jesus, right up to this present day, when faithful Jewish boys become at the age of 13, they begin wearing a garment called a talit, a prayer shawl. Some are designed to be worn as an inner garment, and, and others are, are an outer garment. This particular one, well, this is an outer garment. And they would take the talit, and, and they would recite the blessing that's embroidered on, in Hebrew upon the collar band. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher kirishanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu, lehitatek, bazizit. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to wrap ourselves in the tassels. And then they would kiss the last word of the blessing, and then they would wrap it around their shoulders. When we look at the tassels on the four corners of this garment, in fact, these tassels, they're the most important part of the garment. 
The whole design of the garment is to be the holder of these tassels. The Bible tells us why in the book of of Numbers, chapter uh, 15. The Lord God said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. And you will have these tassels to look at, so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them, so that you do not follow after your own heart and your own eyes that lead you to unfaithfulness. You see, God knows our hearts so well. And he knows how quickly we lose our need for him and and how we follow after our own way. And so he commanded his followers to wear a a prayer garment as a reminder to to live out their lives according to the word of God each day. As a reminder of how good God had been to them. It was a reminder that even his 613 laws were not burdensome. And how he so desired to have a continual relationship with them. Well, each of these four tassels on this garment, they have five knots tied upon them. And these knots are a reminder of the law, the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And between the knots, there are four spaces. And these four spaces are, represent the consonants of the most holy name for God. In fact, it was a name that was so holy that that they wouldn't even verbalize it. They wouldn't even say it. Yahweh. I am. And so as they went to pray, they would, they would wrap a, a tassel around each of their fingers. And they would wrap themselves up in the garment, their prayer closet. It was a reminder to them that that day, they were to submit themselves to the holiness of Yahweh and, and to the obedience of his word. But as much as it reminded them to obey, and it also reminded them that they couldn't keep the law, they couldn't keep the word of God perfectly because they sinned. They had to go back to God again and again asking for forgiveness. And every time they prayed, these knots, these tassels, became a continual reminder to them that they had fallen far short of God's righteousness. You know, but then came some great news from the prophet Malachi. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with, with healing in its wings. Now the rabbis taught that this particular prophecy, this particular verse, referred to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one from God. They taught that, that Messiah would have healing in the wings or the, the, the corners of his talit. Why? Because the Messiah would be without sin. That He would be able to keep the law perfectly. In fact, he would be the one who would eventually would unravel all of the knots. The prophet Zechariah, in speaking about the coming of the Messiah, declared that in those days, ten people from all languages and nations will grasp hold of, indeed grab the robe on one Jew and say, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So this woman who is out in the midst of this crushing crowd no no doubt must have heard this prophetic teaching somewhere along the way. And even though there were hundreds of men in the crowd that day, each one wearing their own talit, she passes every single one of them by and she goes directly toward Jesus. And in an act of faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, believing that God was indeed with him, believing in the prophetic truth declared about him, 
And she reaches out and she touches one of the tassels of his garment. You immediately get this sense in in the gospel here that, that Mark just brings this story to a screeching stop. As soon as the tassel is touched, it's just like the frame freezes and, and everything else around it just goes out of focus. All you see now are two people. This woman and Jesus. The Bible tells us that she was healed immediately. The text says that she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. I mean, can you imagine? It's been 12 years. She'd lived with this for 12 years. And in an instant, it was gone. In an instant, she was healed. And she knew it. Pain was gone. The isolation was over. The crowd who had been avoiding her and probably casting insults at her now kind of fall back stunned in amazement because they've seen a miracle. The family will be able to embrace her again. The unclean been made clean. Not by magic. Not by some mystical power in the garment itself. If someone else had taken Jesus' garment and put it on, it it would not have healed her. But something also happens here that is far more important than her physical healing. Not only does Jesus make it clear that her faith in him healed her, but it brought her into a personal, eternal relationship with him. You see, when Jesus says that your faith has healed you, the word healed used twice in this passage, once by the woman and and once by Jesus, that's not the normal word used for healing in the New Testament. This word is the word used for salvation. See, she could now not only go and show herself to the priest at the temple and, and have him declare her to be clean, but she could now stand before God having been declared by him to be righteous. You see, Jesus never goes halfway with anybody. He wasn't just going to heal her physically and just leave it at that. But because of her faith, he gave her eternal life. It's not about the garment. It's about the one wearing the garment. It always has been. It's always been about him. Don't miss that. Don't miss that today. See, her healing came by her faith in Jesus Christ alone. She believed he was the son of God. God's word declares to us over and over again that it's not how much faith you have, but it's who you have it in that makes all the difference. Why does it seem so easy to, to go to someone or to something else all the time? See, for this woman, everything else had been tried. Every option had been exhausted. She wasn't healed until she came to Jesus Christ. Now, here's where the story gets even more amazing, if that's even possible. You know, Mark has slowed it down and, and it helped us to focus upon just this woman and upon Jesus. Well, now he draws us in even closer. And all we can see now is Jesus. And the text tells us that he turned around and he asked, Who touched me? 
This one who the Old Testament prophets declared over 200 times that, that through his name that everyone who believes in him would receive forgiveness of sins. This one who John declared to us to be the word of God made flesh dwelling among us so that we might behold his glory. This one who the Apostle Paul testified to be the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Who one day at his very name every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue confess that he and he alone is is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This one who the book of Revelation declares to be the only one worthy in all of creation to, to take the scrolls and to break their seals and revealing all things to come. Because he was crucified on the cross and at the cost of his own blood. Purchased for God persons from every tribe and tongue and, and people and nation. This is the one who Mark now tells us turns and, and searches for her in the crowd. And he finds her. And in the most significant moment of her life, she locks eyes with God in the flesh. She comes and falls at his feet. See what's happening here? Man, it's easy to miss this when you read through this passage. Jesus turns his face toward her. And that becomes absolutely significant when you're dealing with the person of God. See, God is never more clearly revealed than in the face of Jesus Christ. While she was determined to approach him from behind and just slip away unnoticed, Jesus wasn't leaving until she saw his face. Because she wanted him, or he wanted her to know that he was the one who had transformed her life. He is the one who had changed her life. He wanted her to know that that his face now would be continually toward her. She now had permanent access to him. And she would never be the same. Jesus Christ now became the focus of her life. And so with very deliberate purpose, he, he turns and, and he faces her. The text tells us that Jesus said to her, Daughter, go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. And in that moment, in that very moment, she knew. She knew how valued she was by God. She knew how deeply loved she was by Him. What it meant to be cleansed and and washed of her sin. What it meant to be a recipient of His grace and, and of His mercy. What it meant to be made clean to be fully restored to her family, to be released to accomplish God's purposes for her and her life. Twelve years. Twelve years. Do you know what? I don't think she would have traded those years for anything because they led her to Jesus. You see, it brought her to a place in life where, where she finally began looking for him where she finally came to realize, of course, God, of course. How could I have been so short-sighted? How could I have been so distracted? How could I have been looking for so many other things all these years and not him? 
It was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. that's what Jesus Christ does changes our lives transforms us I want you to know that everyone in this room today that God has turned his face toward you and he's done so because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and he came and he died for you for me We've all sinned and we've fallen short to the glory of God. But the Bible declares to us from cover to cover that God loves us with an everlasting love. And I know sometimes we think that, boy, if God really knew me, God really knew my heart, He wouldn't love me. And He wouldn't want me. But the Scriptures tell us that He sent His Son into the world that we might have life have it more abundantly.
I'm going to ask you in just a few moments, those of you who have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, to, to get up out of your seats and to come forward and to make that decision today, just as this woman did. She took a risk. She went to Jesus, and he changed her life. Maybe you're at the point today where you need to take that kind of risk. It's not a risk at all, really. Not when you're going to Jesus. Would you all bow your, your heads for a moment? If you're here today and you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, I just invite you to, to pray this prayer along with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. But I also believe that you died on the cross for me, that you would wash away all of my sins. So I commit my life into your hands today as my Savior. Come into my life and cleanse me from my sin. Let me live the life that you intended me to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to step forward. But I also recognize that there might be some of you here today. That you know you've accepted him by faith, but you've not been walking by faith. You know, your faith is only as strong as the object that you place it in. Who are you placing your faith in today? Is it yourself? Or is it in Jesus? So I invite you to come forward as well and just receive special prayer and to, to rededicate your lives. There might be others here today that you're going through a crisis or maybe you need physical healing. Maybe things are going on in your life that you just need to be encouraged. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward right now. And they're going to be here to greet you and to pray with you and to encourage you. So why don't you stand together with me. And you come as this last song is being, being sung.